Resilient Cyber Podcast brings you conversations from diverse cybersecurity professionals, ranging from executives, subject matter experts, and aspiring entrants. Today's diverse threat landscape requires systems that can withstand a variety of cyber incidents, remaining trustworthy and secure. Thank you for joining the Resilient Cyber Show. My name is Chris Hughes, along with my co-host, Dr. Nikki Robinson. Hey, everybody. Today, we're joined by Jock Chester. Jock, thanks for being here. G'day. It's nice to be here. Yeah, definitely. We're really excited to chat with you, and we have a great topic to dive into that I think a lot of folks are interested in. But that said, can you tell us a bit about your background, you know, what you're up to now, and, and kind of how you, where, you got, uh, where you are now? Sure. I am a developer at Shopify. I work in the Ruby dependency security team. Uh, and my day job is making life hard for people who try to make supply chain attacks on us. And of course, everyone else in the industry who, who's in the same boat. Yeah, what brought you to my attention is I came across this really, really comprehensive article you wrote on CVSS. And I, you know, I was digging into that with several coffees and I was really fascinated by the article, the depth of it and, you know, how much information it entailed. And as I mentioned, I shared it uh, and it got several thousands of people uh, checking it out on LinkedIn. Many people shared it. Uh, so, you know, before we dive in too deep on it, what exactly is CVSS and, and why should we be talking about it? So the common vulnerability scoring system. Uh, is developed by the Forum of Incident Response and Security Teams, uh, or FIRST. Um, and essentially, it's meant to be a way that you take some information that you know about the vulnerability and you turn that into a ranking. You know, how severe is the vulnerability? Um, so you input uh, factors like, um, you know, can it be done over a network or does it need to be done in person or in the same, same network or remotely? Uh, you put in things like how complex is the attack to perform? Does it need user permissions? and so on, and out, out pops a score between 0.0 and 10.0. Well, actually, 1.6 and 10.0, as I point out in the article, in practice, is what you can choose. Uh, and the idea is that the higher the score, the worse it is. Yeah, exactly. You know, I know many of us are on the practitioner side, and we've used this, you know, within tooling that we use for vulnerability scanning, you know, prioritize remediations or mitigations and reporting for leadership and those kind of things. Um, you know, that said, uh, you, your article kind of opens my eye, along with some articles by others, such as uh, Walter Haydock and some others, of, you know, notable critiques of CVSS as well. Like, you know, you can't necessarily take those scores at face value. Uh, there's more nuance and information that you should be looking at as well. You know, what are some of the most notable critiques of the CVSS? Well, I mentioned a couple in the article. So uh, one that really stood out for me was towards improving CVSS um, by a group of authors at the Software Engineering Institute, uh, who also uh, is the same home at uh, Carnegie Mellon as um, CERT CC. So, you know, very, very storied security and software engineering institutions indeed. Uh, and they wrote this, in academic terms, absolutely scathing article. Uh, about CVSS, they they really, you know, politely tore pieces off it, um, and that that was one that sort of had been lurking in the back of my mind. And I read that years and years ago when it, I think shortly after it first came out, I thought, oh, that's really interesting. You know, that, that kind of makes sense. But then I didn't really think about it much since then, and went back to just doing things like everybody else. Um, that one, I think, is probably if I if I got people to read one thing, it would be that because um, it it really does a great job. 
there's another one that came out recently, only in the last few months, uh, CVSS, uh, Ubiquitous and Broken, and I'm, I feel bad because I've forgotten the author. Uh, and the title pretty much tells you um, what the author thinks of CVSS. Um, and, and the most interesting part is, is that there's some very simple sort of statistical analyses where they uh, check for correlations between factor inputs and the the pro propensity or the probability of exploitation in the wild based on a vendor data set. And there isn't a strong correlation at all, which makes you know CVSS a bit suspect um, as a scoring system. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm very excited to have this conversation today because about five years ago, when I started getting really interested in vulnerability management and trying to understand how the scores actually correlated to how do we determine prioritization, you know, for fixing things. And if we solely focus on criticals and highs, are we actually missing some exploitable vulnerabilities that let, that may end up yeah. scoring as low and medium, which can happen? Uh, there are a number of vulnerabilities that get scored as low, you know, a 2.5 to a 3.2 and still can be exploitable. They may be a little bit more difficult to exploit, but when used in combination, uh, they can create a critical attack. And so- yeah. Um, so that was one of the reasons why I, I loved your article and, and getting a chance to read it, uh, because I think you know, the CVSS, the idea behind it is sort of this base scoring methodology that you could sort of start to use and hopefully help identify some issues. But uh, do you have any advice for organizations that uh, I can't remember the statistic off the top of my head, but how many vulnerabilities are actually scored as critical and high and mm -hmm. trying to get in a, a hold on how many vulnerabilities are actually scored that high. Um, do you have any uh, advice or tips for organizations that are trying to get a hold on just the amount of vulnerabilities that are scored that high? Yeah, I, I would have two tips. One is um, monitor the development of another scoring system called uh, Exploit Probability Scoring System, or EPSS. Some of the people who have a background in developing CVSS are involved with developing EPSS. And the big difference is that it's based on building a statistical model of the likelihood that an exploitation will occur based on many factors, not, not just the ones in CVSS. You know, just every, every piece of data they can lay their hands on is an input. Um, I don't think it's fully baked yet. Uh, I think the big thing that's that's sort of pending for EPSS is the productionization of the production of the model, because um, the model has to be retrained periodically with new data to be up to date. Um, the other thing I would say is when you see a 7.8 or an 8.8 or a 9.8, um, those are massively overrepresented in the actual reports made to NVD. Um, so look at those closely because there will be differences between them when you look at the details. So when you see a 9.8, don't necessarily panic. If you see 10 9.8s, take some time to inspect them to work out which one goes first. They're not equal, uh, even though the scoring system seems to put them that way. Yeah, one question I wanted to ask you, like from the practitioner side, is like, you know, I've worked in some pretty large enterprise organizations and we have many, many vulnerabilities to deal with. Uh, and there's obviously some nuance of trying to sort through, like you said, you know, kind of going and analyzing and digging into this a bit more. And you mentioned some sources like EPSS. Um, you know, what are some tips for practitioners trying to like get to the bottom of the truly exploitability of a vulnerability, you know, and, and how to prioritize them accordingly, but also dealing with just, you know, so many vulnerabilities in a massive environment, with large amount of, uh, you know, hardware and software assets, for example. Yeah. I, I would say also like look to the CVSS score provided by your vendor. Um, they are eh, slightly biased in their own favor. 
but they do have local info, you know, like localized information about the configuration of their software out of the box and whether they've applied patches to an upstream project, you know, how far behind they are from the thing, uh, from, from the edge. Um, there's all these sorts of like additional pieces of information that influence what the score will look like. Um, Red Hat pretty much go out of their way to say, don't listen to anyone except for Red Hat, um, which, you know, is, is reasonable in their position. I, I understand why they say that, but also like they make the argument, like we have different configurations out of the box from what the upstream does and so on. So that would be the first thing. And the second thing is you've got to have, uh, obviously some idea of the value of the system, um, in play. One of the critiques that comes up, I can't remember if it's from towards improving CVSS or if it's from CVSS ubiquitous and broken, uh, is that it's difficult to apply a universal score to everything in the enterprise. An enterprise that has thousands of, of uh, you know, units of compute sprinkled around the place, they've got different levels of criticality. You know, the stuff that stores the the um, the credit card data is not as important as the one that stores the kitten photos from you know last year's birthday party. Uh, and so you shouldn't necessarily, you know, apply the same urgency to each. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question to you. It's like, you know, do you think organizations that take uh, that approach of just using simply the base score, not accounting for uh, criticality of system or data, you know, types and, and you know, categorizations on the on the systems, are, is that really an effective approach? But, it, you know, and if not, uh, why does it seem to be ubiquitous in the way that we do it? Because I, I've never really seen people take it beyond that at large scale, you know, looking into like environmental factors, temporal factors, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, it's worth mentioning that CBSS does have sort of multiple parts that you can score in, and they get combined. Um, I only covered the base score, which is essentially meant to be about things that don't change, things things that are essential and univer- you know timeless, as it were. Uh, and there's a temporal score, which talks more about you know how the environment is changing and that affects the the severity. Um, I think uh, I think the reason it's so ubiquitous is first of all it exists. Um, when, when you sort of, you know, look at Greek mythology, there is the formless void and things start to spring out of it. Uh, and the universe latches onto those and, and that becomes the system of order, even though at the end of it, you wind up with Zeus and he's a maniac. Um, and it's, it's similar with CVSS. We had the formless void where we had no way to prioritize anything. And we all just went on gut feel, uh, and CVSS provides something that, that looks systematic and structured, uh, and therefore very attractive. And I think that's the reason it became so ubiquitous so quickly is that it was really the first of its kind. Um, I think the other thing, of course, is that nobody got fired for, you know, patching in order of CVSS, right? You can justify it by saying, well, we follow this structured procedure and whether or not the structured procedure sort of holds up under scrutiny um, is a different question. You can basically say, well, everyone else did it. There's, it's been observed many times by, by many intellectuals that it is better to be conventionally wrong. Uh, than unconventionally right a lot of the time. Yeah, it, it, I, uh, I think that statement is very interesting because uh, a lot of my research has been around what is classically scored as low and medium vulnerabilities. And some of the pushback I get is, well, we have so many criticals and highs to focus on. We can't also think about the lows and mediums because hmm. we're just underwater trying to get ahead of this, even if there is a case for remediating some of those lows and mediums. Uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, maybe you have 10 days to fix critical, 30 days to fix highs, whatever it might be. And they're beholden to, uh, focusing on those first. 
So with that being said, do you feel like there's a, a, a sort of shift in what we need in the industry as far as vulnerability scoring goes? Um, I think it's probably uh, most people would agree that vulnerability management is tough. It's a it's a tough thing to to get a handle on, especially as technology changes so quickly. Um, so do you think that there's sort of a shift that needs to happen between uh, focusing on vulnerability scoring and maybe focusing on criticality of assets? Yeah, I mean, one thing it's worth mentioning about CVSS, the authors go out of their way um, to point out that CVSS should not be considered risk. So it's it's not the sort of the exposure that you have to downside. It's it's just meant to be saying, this one is more severe than that one, right? Um, so I think you when you think in terms of risk, you're thinking in terms of, uh, there's a couple of different sort of formulae that people throw around. Uh, one is vulnerability by threat by impact. Um, which I don't really like. I prefer the the more classical one, which is um, you know the, the the frequency or the probability that it happens times the magnitude or the amount or the impact or the consequence, however you like to uh, like to frame it. Um, and when you start to think about risk in that way, uh, it tends to become easier to sort of like work out what you should be focusing on because you're not just focusing on um, the severity of the vulnerability. As, or the label of severity, you're thinking more about what is it that could go wrong um, when this vulnerability is exploited and how likely is it to be exploited? Uh, I'm not the first person to have thought of this. I'm sure that some of your listeners are screaming at the screaming at their um, speakers um, saying, fair, fair, fair. Um, so the factor analysis of information risk by Jack Jones and Jack Freund. Um, I hope I haven't butchered his last name. Um, and... Um, Yes, that's one of the things I find very interesting and inspiring. The same with uh, you know, Hubbard and how to measure anything. Um, but generally speaking, I think you need to be aware of consequences as well as you know hypothetical severities. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a great perspective because uh, it, it's as someone who's been in, you know, lots of different environments and looking at what vulnerability management sort of means to those different environments. I think it has to be sort of this um, there has to be sort of a shift to de- depending on what industry you're in, depending on what threats are most uh, prevalent, um, which is why I think threat modeling is so important to vulnerability management activities, because it can help inform uh, where you should really focus those remediation activities. Mm-hmm. So as far as um, vulnerability scoring, vulnerability management, we talked a little bit about EPSS and some of the other scoring methods that are out there. Um, I think there's also the SV, um, SSVC. I'm get it wrong. SSVC, thank you. Yeah. Um, and there are some, uh, there's a lot of academic uh, researchers out there that are trying to solve the problem too mathematically oh. and, and focusing on, you know, what does statistical analysis actually look like to, to help mm-hmm. with vulnerability management. Um, so do you think that vulnerability scoring in general sort of needs uh, another set of eyes on it. And I'm thinking about vulnerabilities that come from uh, not just software and hardware vulnerabilities, but when I think about insider risk or APT groups or things like that, like helping to inject some of those types of of models in there, do you think that there's a, um, that may be where the industry is moving or do you think we're not quite there yet? Um, you know, strictly speaking, a vulnerability is not the same as a threat, which is, you know, not the same as a, a consequence. And, um, 
you know, these, these things have to be thought about separately. One of the, one of the sort of the sins of CVSS is that when you add the temporal score, it kind of starts to mix in threat with vulnerability. Um, you know, maybe that's okay. Maybe it's not. Uh, people, people can go out in the street and have knife fights in the halls of academic conferences and that sort of thing to sort it out. Um, oh, I seem to have lost the connection. Are you still getting me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, good. Uh, well, maybe good. Um, so, I'm sorry, I've, I've lost my thread. I got distracted by what looked like a internet drop. Oh yeah, no, no problem. I was just sort of asking about the the complexity around vulnerability management and what it means um, sort of outside of just software and hardware vulnerabilities that, you know, is, are there other impacts that we should be considering when we're thinking about vulnerability scoring? Yes, and I've, I've been trying to think about what is a vulnerability, um, which, uh, you know, sounds very beard strokey. Um, I'll be on the mountaintop thinking deep thoughts, uh, I'm sure, but you know, I'll be up there with you. It's okay. Right. Well, you know, like now I've got to find a PhD. Um, I, because, because it's sort of a question, you know, like some things are vulnerability and some things are not, but we sort of lump them together as just the bads, you know, they, they have a negative emotional valence. And so they sort of get lumped together. Um, and the question is whether that's a bad thing. So, you know, for example, the question of inside a threat, you know, it's it's not so much a vulnerability, um, but then how can I justify that statement? You know, what is what is the definition that lets me say that inside a threat is not a vulnerability or a weakness or something else? You know, what's the difference between threat and weakness and vulnerability? So um, my, my sort of plan is to write about that at some point in the next, oh, I don't know, two or three decades. Um, and, um, there is actually quite a lot of existing literature that I need to, to go through, right? A lot of people have wrestled with this question. A lot of people have discussed vulnerabilities, uh, and therefore given definitions of them. And I want to try and get, get the hang of it. Yeah. Before I, um, I'll turn it back over to Chris for questions, but I just had one comment on this because this is really where I feel like understanding etymology, the study of terminology, how, how did we come up with these terms and what do they mean in different areas uh, and different domains within cybersecurity? Because I think that's where some of the muddling happens is that what is a vulnerability? I think it's a great question because what does it mean in different contexts? You know, what does it mean to different areas of, you know, what does it mean to in incident response versus an insider threat program? So, um, so I think it's a, a, an important question to ask. Hmm. Yeah, one, one other question I wanted to ask you as well is I know, you know, pivoting a little bit from CVSS and vulnerability scoring, I know you're involved with groups like OpenSSF. Uh, can you tell us a bit about your work there and you know, kind of what drew you there and what you're up to? Yeah, so for those who don't know, the OpenSSF is the Open Source Security Foundation. Uh, as the name suggests, we're very interested in things that make open source more secure uh, on a number of axes and, and sort of areas of interest. Um, the ones that I mostly focus on uh, there's there's three sort of um, working groups that I participate in actively. Um, the first one is security and critical projects. And my interest there is in identifying which projects are critical. So I have uh, a talk that I gave at Open Source Summit North America um, that you can find on YouTube, uh, how do we rank project risk, uh, in which I'm sort of saying like, well, we have millions of software projects in, in the open source universe. Uh, which ones are the so-called Lib Nebraskas? Which are the ones that are unobserved but turn out to be critical? 
And how do we find them? And my argument is that we need expert judgment to assist data-driven methods. The second group I'm involved with is securing software repos. So that's a sort of a, a, a place, a forum to get together folks from RubyGems, PyPI, Maven, Cargo, NPM. Uh, we've had folks turn up from other ecosystems as well. We started to see people from uh, distribution showing up. I'm really proud of that. I helped to co-found that group. Um, and it's been really interesting, you know, like you talk about a problem and you get the perspective from five different language ecosystems, you know, the different things that they've faced and problems they've overcome. Uh, and the third group, which is really quite new, I don't know if there's even been a blog post yet, is the end users group. Um, when I first started thinking seriously about security, I was working for a vendor. Uh, and so I had a, I had a vendor perspective of, of the universe. Um, but now, of course, I'm a poacher turned gamekeeper. Uh, and it turns out when you're thinking from an end user perspective, you sort of see things differently. And uh, some of us here in the OpenSSF want to make sure that like, while the vendors tend to have the pools of expertise to do things, to have a group swap notes and understand things together. Another question I want to ask real quick as a follow-up to that uh, before my final question actually is, you mentioned like the top projects. I know we have the OpenSSF. Lost, lost the stream here, I'm afraid. Oh, we can hear you and see you. You cut, you cut out for a second. Can you still hear me and see me? Okay, you've come good. Okay. So one of those I, days, the internet, am I right? Yeah, yeah, no worries. So I wanted to ask, like you mentioned like the top projects, right? And uh, so I know there's the OpenSSF scorecard initiative. Uh, is, is what you mentioned tied to that, uh, kind of ranking those top projects? Indirectly. So the one, the one that's sort of most closely related um, spiritually is called criticality score, uh, which ingests a whole bunch of, of metrics and puts them into a weighted index and spits out a score between zero and one, where one is, you know, this is the most critical and zero is the least critical. Um, not, not a, a ranking per se, just like a, a, a level. Um, and the criticality score has, has difficulties. One, um, it relies on data that is observable, that can be counted easily or, or gathered easily uh, in an automated fashion. And the example I give in the talk is, and this, this comes from uh, David A. Wheeler, it's not an example I thought of first, um, that you, know, you have a single, you know, have a million downloads, maybe it's important. If you have a single download, well, maybe that download was for a medical devices company. And sure, it had one download, but now it's in pacemakers, right? So which one is important without an expert to say this goes into pacemakers you didn't know from an, in an automated fashion so the idea of of that talk and that sort of approach is that we need to have as uh, as broad and a diverse pool of experts contributing opinions as possible um, that will be very difficult is the the short comment but i think important yeah, I love what you said there because, uh, you know, just going based on the metric of downloads alone isn't really going to show you like these are the most critical projects. It depends on the use and uh, the nuances associated there. So that's kind of been an overarching theme of the conversation. Uh, my last question for you is, you know, <clears throat> we're obviously seeing an uptick in software supply chain attacks mm -hmm. here. Groups I see like lost the connection again. I'm having, yeah. having a bad day today. I can hear you and see you. Can you hear me and see me? Looks flawlessly until it doesn't. Okay, I think we're back. 
Okay. Uh, so, so last question for you is, uh, you know, we, we are seeing an uptick in software supply chain attacks, like looking at groups like CNCF or NQTEL have like, you know, catalogs of open source or, or software supply chain attacks, I should say. Uh, and those attacks have increased in recent years. Uh, when you look no, at the direction, we're, again, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, we're losing you. This is very frustrating. No worries. And sorry to everybody on the end. I'm going to say it's my connection. Um, you want to try and kill your uh, video and see if that helps or no? Uh, let's give that a whirl. People are probably sick of my face anyway. Okay. Um, can you hear me now? I can. Yes, please go ahead. Okay. So last question is like, you know, looking at the uptick in software supply chain attacks and then where we're headed as an industry with things like SBOM and VEX and, you know, the OpenSSF scorecard and some of these other, other initiatives. Uh, do you think we're, you know, moving in the right direction to try to tackle some of these threats with the software supply chain? Yes. Is the short answer. Uh, the, the long answer involves a lot of hand waving and sort of drawing a diagram on a whiteboard with SBOM and VEX and arrows pointing to SIG store and so on and so forth. Um, but uh, the short answer is yes. I think the OpenSSF has turned out to be a fantastic vehicle for bringing these conversations together. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about where supply chain security is headed. Yeah, I think. Um, uh we've covered so many important topics, but I feel like they, they blend a lot, like some of the same issues that we see across like um, uh, open source software, vulnerability management. Uh, so with that, since we've covered a couple of different topics, um, well, I'm going to take us to our last question, which is what does cyber resiliency mean to you? Yeah, I, I, so for those who don't know how these work, I, I get a hint of what's coming so that, you know, if they're going to ask me about my bank account details, I can say I don't want to answer that question. Um, and this question I've been dreading because it's it's hard to answer. Um, I think I think often in terms of robustness, you know, like the ability of a system to remain functional under a variety of inputs and conditions. Um, resilience feels a lot like robustness. Um, maybe there's more springiness to it. Um, it's hard to say, but. I would say that, you know, to me, cyber resilience these days essentially means that you live in a world of, of threats. Um, and the trick is you need to be able to respond to those uh, dynamically. You know, we, we used to live in a world where security was achieved in what I think of in a sort of a possibilistic way. You, you had a binary yes or no, the thing is done or the thing is not done. The firewall ports are closed or they're open. Um, we're allowing this process to run. We're not allowing this process to run. Uh, and what interests me is that the industry is moving towards a probabilistic approach where we say it's it's not enough to say that we ticked all the boxes. We also have to have a model of how the box ticking affects the outcomes. And to me, resilience in the long term is going to be about accepting the uncertainty and mushiness and fluffiness and fuzziness of the world uh, and wrangling it uh, in its own terms. I think that's a perfect answer. Uh, it, uh, resiliency is a, is adaptive. Um, so uh, I wanted to say a huge thank you, uh, Jacques, for being here today, for talking to us all things vulnerability scoring, open, so uh, open source software. Um, thank you again uh, for joining us this week. That's going to wrap us up. Uh, and we will see everybody next week. Have a great weekend. Right. See you then. Bye.